Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to backtrack back to 14. Actually, we're probably not going to get off verse 14, so I'm going to just read that verse. Because um, we, 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 we got a little stuck in a good way on it. What do you think, Twig? Think I? Right? Okay, brother. All right, I'm just making sure. Verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, I, I, I tried to front in the first gathering like we was going to get past verse 14. <laughs> And we kind of didn't. We had an Ephesians moment. So um, <laughs> we had an Ephesians moment. Um, and um, Pastor Larry commanded me under the edict of the elders to not go past the latter portion of the verse. So I'm being submissive right now. I'm actually lying. Forgive me, God. Um, <laughs> but, um, man, I, I am excited about this text. It's a lot in it. And um, I think it's so important that we zoom in on what we're going to zoom in on today. But actually, I, I had planned to get to verse 23 last week, and I, you know, I didn't laid out 24 months. And, um, you know, I, I got kind of what's called writer's block this week, um, what, what they call writer's block, but that's really Holy Ghost shutdown, really what it is. And the Holy Spirit made it clear based on the text, don't go any further. And um, um, because we, we, we shouted last week on remember the Lord. That was good, wasn't it? Just remembering the Lord. I love him to death. I love that. But now God says, I want you to show them why I told them to remember the Lord. And, and, and here in this passage, we are going to see uh, the church become ampedextrous. Is that the word? Kind of. Okay. Using, you know, both hands or whatever. You know, left-handed and right-handed. It was like, what is that? I think I said it right. My Princeton grad had let me know, right? Um, and, and, and the reason is, is this passage points to a place in time where we have to come to terms with the fact that as we build, there will be issues. And as we build to the glory of God, you have to begin to adjust your life to facilitate challenges. If you don't learn... The, uh, the reality, this, this is an adjustment. We're going to continue this in the next week. But, but you have to adjust your life to recognize that while you build under the Lord's strength, you're going to be fighting. And as a matter of fact, uh, th th there should be a rule in the church like it is in the boxing ring. One of the first things they tell you is protect yourself at all times. Now, when the guy come on the other side, they put up their hand, like before the, the bell go ding, ding, they put up the hand. That actually is a legal fighting time. But there's an ethic between the boxers that if I put my hand in the air, we're going to touch fists and then fight. But I'm just going to let you know, fighting for Jesus is not a team sport in this sense, where the person's on the other side is going to be looking forward to getting in the battle, and y'all going to touch hands like it's going to be some fun. Um, when a guy don't want to touch hands, he goes like this. No. And he get like this. See, that's how it's going to be for us, right? You're just like, I don't want to touch hands. I want to fight, all right? So what happens, though, what happens, though, is what happens as we contend 
for the Lord. We got to protect ourselves at all times. Because if that guy goes up there, a guy, I seen a guy, he had his hand up like this. He went, wow. And then everybody like, boo, but it was a legal hit. And one of the things that we need to learn how to do is be protective at all times. And in this passage, Nehemiah is calling God's people to both contend and to build. He calls them to contend and to build. Contending is a cousin term of the word we're going to see in this section called fight. Say fight. And so what we're going to see in this section is they are going to have to balance and strike the balance between fighting and, uh, and actually building because there is nothing worthwhile that God has called you to build that you won't have to fight while you build it. Um, there will be seasons of, 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 of an appearance of peace, but, but really you need to be prepared for a battle at all times. And so Nehemiah tells them that he wants them to fight, which brings us to our title. I want to talk about for a little while contending while building. Contending while building. We only got one point today based on this verse. Based on this verse, we only have one point because we want to really milk what God has for us in these verses. The first point and only point today is contend for God's key mechanisms for his glory in the city. Contend for God's key mechanisms of glory in the city. As we come here to this section, we will see a segmental breakdown of the key uh, sections in this pericope that we, we, we will begin to see God lay out. Now, what I like about this is it points beautifully to Jesus. Because Jesus is seen as a builder, but not a fighter. And Jesus doesn't take any P's and Q's from Michael Jackson when Michael Jackson made the quote, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Jesus is a lover and a fighter. Amen, somebody. Now, now, now I need my ogres to say amen. Amen, fellas. Amen. Now, now, fellas, as we go through this text, this is really for you today. This is some, this is some Old Spice steaks on a smoke grill, fire pit in the backyard around wicker chairs, Busting your chest up against each other, high five, secret handshake, head going up against each other. Text. That's that. that it's some. It's some husky masculinization going on in this text right now. Now, ladies, I don't want you to check out because it's actually going to be real attractive to you. Amen. It's going to be exciting. You're going to. I want you. To, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be real attractive to, attractive to you. But Jesus is a fight. Jesus came as a builder for the first time. But in his second advent, he's coming back with a tattoo on, flames in his eyes, wool dreadlocks, and a linen outfit with a golden bulletproof vest on with a horse with sandals on and going to fight. Whoever you heard of that fight with some sandals on, be very afraid if a cat got on flip-flops and he going to fight you. Jesus coming back with flip-flops on, going to knock cats out. How? Not using his fists, not using his feet, not using his shins, but using his tongue. He's going to open his mouth, and a sword is going to come out like this and start slapping cats up. So fighting is very gospel-centered. Amen, somebody. Only, let me just give you something for free before, while we get into this, right? Only time you turn the other cheek 
is when you're being persecuted for the gospel. That's it. All other fighting is fair game if it's not your fault. I'm just being Christ-centered. That's what Jesus did. So no more persecution. He started knocking cats out. So here we go, fighting. Now, this section begins with something interesting because what he begins to do, he's, he begins to say fight, say fight. Fight is a very, very important word in the Bible. It, it plays a key role in the philosophy of building in the lives of God's people. Although many other fights, the ownership of is placed here on the man. Fighting is a part of being a Christian. So men have to learn how to fight. I'm scared of men that don't know how to fight. Now, I'm not just talking about knuckling up, you know what I'm saying, getting out of cat, tatow, left, right. I'm talking about a man that can't stand ground and be a man and plant and get in the grill of life. Wish I had some help right now. See, 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 when I talk about a man or biblical masculinity, a contender is a man that knows that he's anointed by God, knows that he's appointed by God, knows that I'm by myself, knows that he's transformed by God, but he plants his feet in rugged ground, stands face to face with whatever's in front of him and say, God, whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to fight for it. I'm I, I, I'm going to be in the grill of it. God, God, if this is a battle that you got me in, God, I, I want to make sure that I stand for I'm going to put on my divine gloves. I'm going to put on my Vaseline on my face, and I, I'm going to make sure that I'm ready for the battle. And so right here in this text, we see a fight going on. That, and, 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 and contending is such a beautiful term in the Bible. In Jude 3, it says, Beloved, although I was e very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered up to the saints. That's not just doctrinal fighting. That's functional fighting. That that's when you take the doctrine and you're able to nestle it into your feet after it hits your heart in your head to be able to walk and stand firm for God's glory. And so as we look at this booming passage and we begin to look at this fight passage, he gets in the grill of the men. Nehemiah says, all right, you hear they talking smack about us, right? God's just like, yeah. He's like, what? He says, you hear them talking smack about the glory of God, right? Yeah. All right. Remember the Lord. Cast is like, put their heads up. Then he says, the great and awesome God. Cast is like. Yeah. He said, he said, he said, he said, he said, the great and awesome God, all in the Hebrew, they would have understood it, means fear. In other words, to stand in awe, the reality of someone, something, or some place. So he wasn't telling them to muster up masculine energy in the flesh. He was telling them, I want you to look at who God is. And as you look at who God is, listen, family, I want you to fight. Now, 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 now what I like about this passage is it points to the fact that God's a fighting God. See, Christianity has painted the picture of an emasculated punk with a long beard shriveled up with varicose veins on a throne in eternity. But this God that he's preaching right now is the great and awesome God. 
who dwells in unapproachable light. He is the awesome God that no man can just come up in his presence. He's the awesome God where sin can't stand in his presence. He's the awesome God in which everything has to obey. He's the awesome God that spoke in the darkness and light said, move out of the way. God said, come into existence. The awesome God. So this is the God we're talking about. We're talking about this punk God. The suckers preach. We're talking about a, a beast, a bow-legged God that stand like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But at the same time, it's loving, and at the same time, it's your worst nightmare. He, that's, that's, this is the great and awesome God I'm talking about. I'm talking about fine brimstone God. I'm talking about the one that treads the wine press. Uh, with, with, the, with the blood of his enemies, and the blood of enemies is squirting up on his, on his, oh my God, I wish I had some help. I'm talking about this God, the great and awesome God. He, 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 the dude's like, yeah, he's, the dude's like, dang, they, they, dudes want to punch some spears and everything out, and then he says, fight. But what is he telling them to fight for? He says, fight for your brothers. He says, fight. He says, fight for your sons. He says, fight for your daughters. He says, fight for your wives, and he says, fight for your homes. I like that. He, he's saying this because these areas are key areas within the city that act as tabernacles for God's glory. What does that mean for the new Christian? God's glory is God showing off his attributes to everybody, all right? That he does some showing them. So, so, so what happens is, is he creates a people that is redeemed by him, that he creates their lives to be reflections of how fly he is, all right? So, 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 so because of how fly God is, he likes to help people to know that. The way he helps people to know that is through the people of God who are transformed through the gospel of God. So now, we come in here, he says, fight for your brothers. Now, this was interesting as we began to walk through the pericope from an exegetical standpoint. Because, because right here in this passage, Brothers doesn't just mean a uh, family member. See, in Jewish culture, brothers was a myriad of broad things in this context. See, 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 brothers here was countrymen. That means people that are from your country and ethnicity. That's number one. Number two, it, it, it is your covenant community partners who are under Yahweh's authority. And number three, it is the city. Three C's. Covenant community, countrymen, and city. And so when we look at this, he's telling them to fight for their countrymen. I, 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 I like this idea because there is a burden in the Bible for countrymen from a biblical and theological perspective. In Romans chapter 9, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, two, 1 through 3. He says, I wish I could go to hell for my Jewish brothers. He said, he said if I could just go and spend eternity in hell, I wish all of my Jewish brothers could go to hell. In other words... Even though he was called based on Acts 9 to go to the Gentiles and he was called to go to kings and he was called to go to emperors and he was called to go to the rich and he was called to go to the poor, there was some unchecked burden in his heart for people of their own ethnicity. Even Jesus, he looked out and the Bible says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. 
Jesus looked over at Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how, how long have I wanted to gather you as a hen gathered? In other words, there's a, there's a passion where they didn't put, put their sociology above their theology, but they let their theology so inform their sociology that their theology gave them a heart for the sociological ramifications of what was happening in the cultural groups of people that were spiritually destitute, spiritually out of the loop, spiritually frustrated, spiritually disconnected and out of the loop for God's plan. And so God has called us to that. I know we are a multi-ethnic church. I know we are, and I love my Great Britain people. I love my African, but where are all my Africans at? Nigerians and everything, Ghanaians and all y'all, y'all, y'all beautiful, amen. Where my Latinos at? Where my Lats at? It's only one, it's not one. Put up a hand, where Andy? Yeah, there you go. It's more, yeah, yeah, we got Honduras in the back. Well, who else? We got somebody in the back. Plot out. I see you, big dog. I see you. Um, uh, uh, where, where, amen, amen, amen. Where, where, where are our Haitians? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, say for South Bronx. I said Haitians. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> where are my Caribbeans? All my Caribbean folk. Wow. We're just, you just mix. Just like five different, let me... Literally, put your hand. I just mess with you. You mix, you mix, you mix, you mix. Amen, amen, amen. We're just the, the black people from America. We're the black people. We're the white people. Where are my whites? Where are my whites? I see your whites. God bless you. We're, we're my Italians. Wow. All right, Irish. Polish. We got any Russians? No. But it's so many different people groups here. You know, and as we peruse that, I think God has placed us together here for a purpose. All of these different ethnicities. Y'all didn't even know all that was in here, did you? You heard us say more. Y'all didn't even know what that, all that was in here. But this is for a purpose because one of the things that we have become, we have become countrymen in some sense of the form. However, I am concerned about a particular group of people that I'm going to give you stats on today. I am deeply concerned about the black man. Now, don't run out now, because, you know, I, I want you to stay with me. I'm deeply concerned about the pandemic condition of spiritual, sociological, economical, destitute levels of mess that black men are in. And as I began looking at this passage and looking at masculinity, I can't help but scathe for my countrymen. They're my brothers according to the flesh, but not according to the spirit, unless they know Jesus. They're your countrymen, and, and I will show you biblically, I will show you biblically how, how, how this is extremely important. But I want to spend a lot of time today talking about biblical masculinity under the framework of contending and building. I want to talk about contending for specific groups of people, brothers. I want to talk about contending for being sons, men. I want to talk about how to contend. I want to talk about contending for daughters. Amen, somebody. I, I, I want to talk about contending for your wife. And I want to talk about contending for your home. But then I want to show you how Jesus ultimately fully fulfills all of this and empowers that it ultimately takes place. And so, and so, and so, so Robert Lewis in his book, on, and when he talks about fighting, 
for manhood. I like this is just some practical stuff. He says there are four ways that men fight for manhood. Four ways. And I'll give you some textual evidence. But we're going to apply all this stuff. Number one, reject passivity. Oh, oh my goodness. Reject passivity. That means stop being a punk. Translate it. No, now, when I say that, I mean not walking in the fullness of what God you to called you to be in your gender comprehensively. Now, 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 my favorite passage on rejecting passivity was my man Solomon, Solomon and David in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. This, this, is, this is interesting what Solomon told him. He said, so, um, David told Solomon on his deathbed, he was old and he was on his way out. Your man David told Solomon, he said, show yourself a man. That's beautiful. Show yourself. I mean, in other words, don't be passive about walking in the manhood that I've trained you in. See, it's interesting that he didn't say, he didn't begin giving him a PowerPoint presentation on manhood. He had so taught him how to be a man that on his deathbed, all he had to do was tell him, show off what I taught you. See, we need that in our context and our culture. We need men who so develop and reflect biblical masculinity in our culture and in our city and in our context that when we're on my, I, I can't wait till I get on my deathbed. That sounds crazy. Well, I, I want to be like 114. You know what I'm saying? Laying in my room on, seven, on, on, on 18th Street. I'm about to get my address. 18th Street. And me being in the room and I call, you know, I wanted 10 children. You know what I'm saying? But me and my wife had to work through that. But I, and I wanted to be like Jacob on his deathbed. And I wanted to tell Manny and Nehemiah, I'm going to raise my thigh, put your hand under my thigh. And then me to speak a blessing over them. And begin to begin talking to them about what I've taught them over a 50-year period. And begin telling them, show yourself a man. I'm by myself in this place. But, but when I start talking about men and men manning up, I don't want to beat you up. I want to lift you up. And so, and so, and so, I so, and then walking away like in tears in their eyes. And when I pass away and I expire before them, they walk away removing their hand from under my thigh. They kiss me on the forehead and they in a coffee shop somewhere on Gerard Street talking about daddy teaching them how to be a man and encouraging each other not to be passive. That's beastly to me. See, that's what we need to be developing and, and, and teaching. And that's why we have to do it expeditiously and powerfully. And, that's the, and so he says, for his brothers, and, and this, this idea of doing this for his, for his brothers or his countrymen is, 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 is this idea of rejecting passivity. But then from rejecting passivity is number two, accept responsibility. Oh, my God, I wish I had some help. I, 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 now, now, the greatest statement on accepting responsibility in the Bible to me is when Jesus rolled up in the synagogue, boom, he rolled up in the synagogue, they say, anybody want to read anything? Jesus put on his little rabbinic hoodie, because they had the little joint they had to wear when they read, so he had this little rabbinic hoodie, he went up there hooded, so Jesus had his hip-hop on, and so he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah, and he went through, and he found the place in Isaiah 61, had no pointings back then, he just found it. He read through the uh, Hebrew there. Went to Isaiah 61.1. He says, the spirit of God is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, to give sight to the blind, and to proclaim the favorable day to the Lord. Jesus Christ was sent with a purpose. And in him being sent with a purpose, he saw his purpose in the Bible. 
When he saw his purpose in the Bible, he was willing to take responsibility for the purpose in which God had created him for. I wish I had some help. See, I wish men would find their purpose in the Bible. Not find their purpose on, uh, 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 you know, young money, cash money brothers. I wish I had some help. I, I wish somebody would, wouldn't find their purpose in some Maybach music and talking about I'm a boss. I wish that somebody would not find their, 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 their purpose. I'm not dogging nobody. I want them to come into ministry too, but I got to tell it like it is. I want men to not find uh, their, 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 their purpose in how many chicks they can smash. I wish I had some help. I, I want to see some men find their purpose in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because when you accept biblical responsibility for why God put you here, you know who you are, you know uh, why you're here, and you know what your purpose and is, and you know how to execute it. So you're not a passive punk in this world, and you accept, you accept every responsibility, not finding ways to push away from your responsibility. Uh, but then the third one is lead courageously. Ah, I like that. Joshua said, we'll follow. They, the people said, I'll follow you only. Be strong and courageous. And so, 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 so this idea of courage meaning, courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. It means the willingness to face the fear knowing that God got you through the fear. That, that's, that's all it is. You know what I'm saying? So men say men aren't afraid of growing up. In other words, that means you're not afraid of growing up. Oh, I'm still in the text, baby. Um, and, and, and when you're not afraid of growing up, you face the fear of the unknown, knowing the one that knows everything, knows the unknown, and will meet you in the unknown because he specializes in calling stuff out of darkness into light. So even though your future may look dark, when you walk into it knowing that the one who speaks light into existence, he, you know that when you go into it, light's going to meet you. Wish I had some help. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to reject passivity, and he wants you to accept responsibility. But number three, he wants you to expect the greater reward. Number four, accept the greater reward. It's beautiful in the fact that even in this text that we're in, when he's telling them to fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes, it's a beautiful point here because he's telling them to fight for more than just yourself. That's what he said. Fight for more than you. Become, see, 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 it's one thing to become a, 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 a mononarch. A mononarch means I'm over myself. I take care of myself. I'm with women for myself. I'm in college for myself. I'm getting clothes for myself. I'm getting high for myself. I'm doing everything for myself. But God wants to transform men from mononarchs to patriarchs. Patriarchs not only look out for their own interests, but they span out into making sure that other people's interests are developed as long as they reflect a kingdom dynamic. I'm alone in this place, but God is up to something in the lives of men today. And I believe even in this message right now, he's going to aliven some of you. He's going to encourage some of you, and he's going to get you dwelling in a biblical format of ministry posture towards him in the world. Uh, but but, 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 but as, we, as we look at this ideal and we look at this, one of the things that, that disturbs me is the black man, though. The, the, the black man, I, 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 am, I am one of the kids in the neighborhood who grew up in the neighborhood with big wheels. Y'all know nothing about big wheels today. 
you know what I'm saying, big wheels and girls jumping rope on the block with wires and, and, and extension cords. Y'all don't know nothing about that. People braiding hair on the sidewalk. You know what I'm saying? We playing hopscotch while we got some rocks because we couldn't afford chalk. We got some rocks and we made some blocks and squares and we going like this and everything. You know, I was one of them kids. I was a latchkey kid. Dad wasn't around. I was one of them kids that all of us grew up, many of us, without pops around. I was one of those kids that was expected to be a statistic. I was one of those kids in the inner city of Washington, D.C., public schools, being told at nine years old, my son's age, that you all will not make it to the age of 21. I was one of those kids. So the day when I come and see things worse than when I was coming up during the crack era, late 70s, early 80s, Seeing it, seeing it now, and then I look at stats like this from, uh, from uh, uh, Kaiser's Family Foundation. That says young African-American men in the United States. It says several things about them. It says the experiences of young African-American men differ in many ways from those of young men of other racial and ethnic groups, and yet are similar in many aspects. This, this study examines the experiences of young African-American men in education, employment, and the criminal justice system. It also compares how they fare in health coverage and health status with that of other men of, of different racial backgrounds. Check it out. Fewer than 8% of African-American men have graduated from college. Wow. Compared to 17% of whites and 35% of Asians. African-American men are dis disproportionately represented in the criminal justice system. The percentage of young African-American men in prison is nearly three times that of Hispanic and nearly seven times that of white men. While African-American men represent 14% of young men in the US, they represent 40% of the prison population. And that figure does not reflect the amount that are on parole. They make up 46% of the incarcerated in the country. They are more, there are more black men in American jails and prisons than are black men incarcerated in the rest of the known world. So you ask yourself the question, what are we doing here? I'm going to show you biblically why we're here in a second, why, this, why these stats are so important. But, but, but this, is, this is not to preach some type of social gospel but talk about the nature of the spiritual, the spiritual nature of the gospel and its implications. Leading causes of death for young men is 15 to 29, regardless of race or ethnicity, are an unintentional injury like car accident, firearm, or drowning, suicide or homicide. For young African-American men, more deaths are caused by homicide than any other case. The homicide death rate for Young African-American men in three times the rate for Hispanics, the population group with which the next highest homicide and mortality rate. The 4.5 million African-American men ages 15 to 29 represent 12% of the U.S. male population. Of that age, 12% of all African-Americans in the U.S., their high rates of death, incarceration, unemployment, and relatively low levels of college graduation rates raise concerns for African-American families and the nation's economy. So, so why is this important? Why are you talking about this? You're talking about this because you're black pastor? Partially, but also because I'm a Christian with my eyes open. 
And, and, and if you're going to be a believer, you got to be comprehensively concerned about the worst people, the, the, worst, the people that are worst off in our country. And one of the worst off people in our country is black folk. You come to this neighborhood, you'll recognize that the average income in this neighborhood is between 15 and 20,000. That's a house for households of six. That's below the poverty line. I wish I had some help. The, 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 this, this is important because, because we have a lot of things going on. We see Flint, Michigan just made the top of the list for worst city in America. We got uh, Camden, number two, uh, uh, worst city in America, but leading in crime, I mean, leading in crime and, uh, uh, and, and homicide. Um, we're planning a church in Epiphany, I mean, in Camden, that just launched their, uh, their, uh, their preview service 15 minutes ago. Amen, somebody. Amen. And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful for God's grace on that. Uh, 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 um, there, there is a need for the engagement of these people groups in our neighborhood here. That there seems to be development going on, which, which we appreciate the development that's going on. But the, but the development that's going on here, and you know we love our cause, so we love y'all to death. So don't y'all ever feel like we slighting y'all here. We just want to let you know what's going on. We love you to death. We're glad you're here. want you here. All of the colleges represented, we're glad that God has placed you here. We believe God has placed you here for a purpose. Um, um, uh, yet as we look at what makes up a neighborhood, what, what, what's developing in a neighborhood is an economy that doesn't impact the neighborhood positively. And so what happens is it, it actually decreases the level of impact the neighborhood has. Number one, the people, the development of all of the brownstones, matter of fact, right across from my house on 18th Street, right around the corner, um, there are three condominiums coming up, which will be housed by people who can't afford to live in, will be housed by people who they afford to live in. Now, but the people in the neighborhood can't live in them, even though it's nicer housing than the housing they already got. Amen. So what happens is, is as that happens is student populations increase in the neighborhood, which is beautiful. But what happens is, is once that student population increases in the neighborhood, that means there are less families in the neighborhood. And when there's less families in the neighborhood, the neighborhood is no longer a community. It becomes a dormitory. And so what we have to be thinking about is even our college students, all of us, we got to begin thinking about how does my presence infringe upon the people that are here and how can I be able to bridge to be able to engage them with Jesus is true. That, that, that's very important for you to recognize what many of us benefit off of destroys the lives of others. These are just some justice issues that we have to begin to look at. We, we have to begin to look at all of these different issues in our neighborhood. Forty more police officers were put in the 22nd precinct just recently to help college students because of the height of crime going on among college students. But the college students that come, they don't pay taxes in the neighborhood. The taxpayer people having crime here already don't get the benefit from the police existing there for them. Now, why am I saying that? Not to beat up the college students, but for you to understand why people are ticked off. That's very important for us to understand that. That's very important. And, and, and it has to do with the reason why we're called to fight. So that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, what we're going to do in light of this is we're going to develop common ground with our neighborhood. We're going to develop trusting relationships with our neighborhood. We're going to walk boldly in engaging with the gospel, develop a traje trajectory for pre and post, pre and post conversion discipleship, and to minister to the core cultural values that God wants us to engage in this city. Well, if you don't believe this in the Bible, turn your Bible to Titus 3.14. Turn to Titus 3.14. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Titus 3.14. 
I'm going to start reading. Titus 3.14, it says, and let our people learn. I like that. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent, say urgent, urgent need and not be unfruitful. The New American Standard says not to be found unfruitful. I, I like that because now what we're seeing in this section is, 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 is that God has called the people of God to meet pressing needs. Now, let me ask you a question. Is what, is what we just named sort of a need or a pressing need? I can't hear y'all. Is it a, a pressing need? So if it's a pressing need, what does the text say our ministry looks like if we don't engage that need? Say it louder. So if we don't engage the plight of the destruction of black folks and Latinos in this neighborhood, guess what we're, guess what we're not? Fruitful. And guess what it says? You, but you got to learn how to do it. That's because we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. We trust a God with a Bible that's been tested over time and a Holy Spirit that's more powerful than any of us. And so that's how, we, that's how stuff gets done. Stuff doesn't get done by rallies, going around, occupying, and doing all this. Who do we want? That don't do nothing. It would just make some people mad. That's all it does. But what about people that come in and incarnate the reality of the gospel in that particular context? Because this is very important because we got to learn how to engage in pressing needs. Why do we engage in pressing needs? Look at verse 4 of chapter 3 of Titus. Look at it. It says in verse 4, he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, mercy, mercy by the washing of regeneration. That means to call something to be born again. That means ex nihilo. God brought your soul out of nothing by rebirthing you through renewal of the spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I like that. Why? Because this is the theological point of view of the passage on the mission. So by the time you get to verse 14, you see that the reason why we meet pressing needs is because God in Christ met our pressing need. Oh, I'm alone in this place. Your pressing need, let me just make it clear. Y'all ain't getting it. Your pressing need was you was on your way to hell. Your pressing need was you were filling up the cup of wrath. Your pressing need was you were going to meet God at the great white throne of judgment. Your pressing need was if you died before Christ came back, you would be in a holding cell called Hades. And while you're in a holding cell called Hades, you would be under just a little bit of pain and hurt, even though it would be anguish based on the rich man in the Lazarus story. But then he will put you back in your body, resurrect you from the grave, judge you with all your stuff you did based on what you did, hold you up against your standards, show you how you didn't keep your standards, or God's standards, then throw you in the lake of fire for eternity. So when we talk about God coming out and meeting your pressing need, that's the pressing need that he met. See, some of y'all ain't get it, because you don't think you ain't, you ain't think God met no need for you because you have a philosophy of entitlements. You weren't entitled to a relationship with God. You weren't entitled to heaven. He saw your faults, and he dealt with them and saved you based on implications. The Bible says we look at the faults of our context and the greatest needs, and we engage the pressing needs in order that we may not be found unfruitful. I like the way Carl Ellison says it in Saving Our Sons. He says, 
help establish a strong male leadership presence in the church. See, you know what? I want Epiphany Fellowship to be like 60% men. Now, ladies, don't get mad. Ah, oh, yeah, see what I'm talking about? He's a man. See, I told you I'm sick of him and his man stuff. Listen, if the men come, everybody going to come. He did say it's going to be he's 60%. We want to see it become 60% male, husky, Jesus-loving, job-having, business-owning, Oh, somebody ought to hear me. Theology loving, woman respecting, arms lifted up in worship. See, you like that, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, 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 I want to see Jesus do it. And it'd be husk, just huskiness. This black, big, big old black dude. Latino dudes from off the block with the shape up. They all get, Latinos get the best shape up in their face. I'm just sorry. In Philly, y'all just, y'all joint be tight, man. Um, where was I going with that? But Italians from little Italy, people from all over, all over this city coming in and God engaging them with the gospel. And we see that then they in turn fight for their own neighborhood which raised them to fight for their own neighborhood, which raised them to fight for their own neighborhood. And then we have a legacy of brotherhood in the city. And when you have brotherhood, you automatically have beastie womanhood. Oh, I wish I had some help. But Carl Ellis says, do, you, do what you can to make sure there is godly male leadership in your congregation and community. With, with some estimates of as high as 75% female membership in African-American church, it is easy to see how Islamic focus on male leadership has appealed to African-American young men who are too often fatherless and without a male role model. Use the Bible. Use the Bible to counter the widespread misunderstanding that the Christian faith emasculates men. In other words, Christian faith makes a bunch of suckers, a bunch of punks. I'm not just talking about homosexuality because I'm not beating up homosexuals. Um, I'm just saying... When I say spiritual punk, I mean anything that's substandard of what God called men to be. Amen. Put it all under that umbrella. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we focus in on homosexuality because that's the easy one to focus on. But let's, let's talk about comprehensive, substandard masculinity. Help me, somebody. But then he says sons. Oh, man, we just we spent all our time on that, but we got to get the sons, man. Can I, can I talk a little bit longer? I just want to get all this verse done today because we can't be on this next week. Okay. Sons. He says, fight for your sons. It's monstrous. Now, he's assuming that there are fathers that are present here. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? He's assuming in the text that there are fathers that are present. He's assuming that there are fathers present. How can we tell our neighborhood, fight for your sons, and some people don't know where their sons are? But in Israel, this is how they viewed sons. They viewed sons or having children was extremely important in Israel. It was filled with purpose. It was filled with passion. Getting pregnant wasn't sad. Getting pregnant was like, whoops, what are we going to do? Getting pregnant was like, wow, the Lord has blessed us. He says, Fight for your sons. Proverbs 17, 
6 says, grandchildren are a crown of the age. But listen to this. And the glory of children is their fathers. Listen to that verse. Now, when we think about that verse, exegetically, glory there means to boast in something. So as to render that children are proud of their daddy. I don't know what it is. But a cat will say, he'll say, my mama can cook. That's all he'll say. My mama, she can cook. But he ain't going to be around the neighborhood. Yo, my mama, man, I'm telling you, man. They be like, what you talking about, man? Your mom's dog, you talking about? But you get a cat on the block. Yeah, my dad, man, my dad a beast. Now my dad will whoop your dad. Now my dad will whoop your dad. Now my dad will. Because there is a natural sense based on general revelation that there's a stock that children, especially boys, put in dads. I love it. But what happens is, is there's a wound that develops there if daddy's not spiritually present, not just morally present. But I'm talking about spiritually present, in which he's injecting gospel truth into the lives of his sons. I wish I wasn't alone right now because I'm going to preach long today, so you might as well get, get, get with me. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, because I like it when I come home and my sons hear me jingling my keys or they hear my car go boop, boop. And they're waiting outside. And they say, they run to the door, Daddy, Daddy, I love that. I, I, I want to fight for my sons. I want to fight that they can't remember a day when Jesus wasn't being invested into their souls. Men, I want you to raise monstrous men. I want you to raise monstrous men that love Jesus. I, 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 I want the opportunity for sons, for us to see the fatherlessness curve end with Christian men taking responsibility and rejecting passivity to the glory of Jesus Christ. Sons want to boast in their pops, but what's interesting is, is you will not allow them to idolize you. You will begin to point them to Jesus so they won't center their identity on you. That's what it means to be a good dad. And what it will happen is, is you'll begin admitting how trifling you are to your child so that they won't idolize you, but they idolize Jesus Christ Bam! And then guess what? They know how to repent of sin. Many times, children deal with issues of a lack of repentance because they never seen it modeled in daddy. Oh, I'm supposed to be closed now. But, but just some basic things I think would help with that. You need to develop a family worship time. And if you not, listen, I don't care if you're not married, get out your pen and paper and you better write it down. Write it in your notepad on your phone. Develop a family worship time. Will you point the house heavenward? Now, family time last week, you know, I, I collect vintage figures, so I got this big old action figure out that's about, you know, 12 inches, you know what I'm saying? Then I got a little Jedi, little baby Jedi dude, little young buck, right? And then I, w I went over into, into Spur Samuel, sat the boys down, talked to them about David and Goliath's story. So they're like, they looking like it, because Nehemiah, he'd be running through the backyard or something. So I have to zoom them in. You know what I'm saying? Um, I have to zoom them in. And Manny's there. Manny is hyperactive. He's jumping over chairs, and he's Spider-Man. So I got to bring them in. And I began talking to them. I started telling the story, and they started seeing that thing. Then I act like the little Jedi had a sling in his hand and threw it through the sentinel's head, and the thing fell to the ground. And they were like, yes. They were all excited. And then they were talking about But But guess what? They're going to remember that story. You got to create memories for your boys. Seek, don't just seek to be married, man. Seek to set a legacy in the lives of other men. 
See, see that, 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 and, and, and set an imprint when they don't have any, if they wild out, they ain't got no excuse. I got to move. Oh, God, I got a lot to get through. I'm going to keep moving. Give them a vision of biblical manhood, Proverbs 5 through 9. Solomon was so gully with his sons, he started talking to them about sex. He said, you know it's going to be some fine women out there, right? Sons of Bread and them like, Dad, Daddy. How you all talking about, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, kids don't like to talk about sex and women in front of them. He started talking to them real talk about masculinity and promiscuity. Develop a code of conduct. He said in Proverbs 1, listen to your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. He said, I'm laying stuff out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you remember that? You remember that standing in awe of God is the beginning of you knowing and being anything, son. They're like, dang. Can you imagine that being branded in the psyche of young bucks on the block? Oh, I know I'm supposed to close, but I'm going to keep going. A transcendent cause. Give them something bigger than them to live for. And Jesus did it best when he said, I've given to you the keys to the kingdom. Wow. You're giving me the kingdom, Jesus? That's like a 16-year-old getting the keys to a car. It's the equivalent of excitement. Getting the keys to the kingdom. When you hand jingle them keys at a 16-year-old see, won't they feel like they're getting something special? Listen, when Jesus Christ jingles the keys of the kingdom before men, He's saying, I'm giving you the keys to drive the kingdom. Oh. But then we get to daughters. Daughters. Loving your daughters. Most of the fighting for a daughter was to keep her chaste back in their day. Keeping her chaste, not chased after. But, see, chaste, y'all don't even know what that is. Chaste meaning, uh, y'all like chaste. Are you trying to give me chaste? Um, but, uh, <laughs> Keep you, keep you holy and virginized, right? I made up a word. So what well, basically daddy prepared his daughter for JoJo. Daddy prepared his daughter so when the old, when the old, you know, some oil that he bought down at the gallery with some with some polo boots, some skinny jeans, and a and a varsity jacket. A 10, ten deep varsity jacket on and a Philly fitted come to the door with a, with a diamond earring in his ear and a pinky a yellow diamond ring come up. He like, how you doing? Um, my name is my name is Jojo. You know what I'm saying? Daddy like at the door. He like, and daughter like, Dad, stop it, Daddy. Stop it. I want JoJo. Dad, stop it. She in the background going crazy. Daddy. And he like, yeah, JoJo. Let's walk around the corner real quick, JoJo. JoJo. What's your government name, man? You know JoJo? He need to be shaken. In his boots, because he's treading on something sacred. Wish I had some help. And JoJo getting his stuff right. He said, man, my first date, me and my wife get to go on a date with y'all. Dad, with it. Nah. Nah. Nah, I'm going. We'll sit at another table, and you buying all our food.
Now let's see how long JoJo stay his butt behind. If he come to you talking about, well, I should get some drawers because I don't pay for the family's food, I'm going to knock his teeth through the back of his cerebral cortex. I'm just letting you know. Fight. Biblical fighting. I'm moving, y'all. Fight for your wives. Fight for your wives. It means fighting for your marriage, man. Don't be no punk in your marriage. You fight for her. You fight for her. You fight for her. You get after her. You live with her in an understanding where you did all that to get her. Now you're behind getting on the couch with your hand in your pants and the remote control there and a beer on the table and asking her to go get stuff for you. You lazy, you lazy, you lazy joker. Get up and love that woman. Get up and, oh, I got quiet on me now. Intentionally engage your wife. Listen, y'all single dudes, I'm going crazy this morning. Listen, y'all single dudes, you get married with a biblical focus in mind to be a servant, not to come to be served. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you fight for her. You fight for her. You fight for sexual prowess with her. That means every skirt that walks around the corner with low rider jeans on, high boots, and tighties on, oh my goodness, with her hair fly like that, with a nice fresh dew from the jaw, with a nice perfume on, fur around her neck, leave her alone, get out there, your wife. Get her. And it's the best thing ever. <laughs> best thing ever. You can sleep with 90 chicks and be frustrated. But it take a real man to sleep with one for a lifetime in marriage and grow and learn her. All her curves. All of them. You need to boldly go. When no man has gone before. Somebody ought to hear me. See, all the men should be standing up right now. I'm trying to be, but I'm, I'm just trying, I want you to fight. We don't want a community of suckers. Community of old suckers. Community of dudes that, ain't, that just got his eyes all over the place, dating different chicks, ain't focused, ain't got nothing on his mind but some giblets. Man, I want you to get Christ. Come on now. There's some man up ministry we need. And this is for God's glory on your life. I got to keep moving, but I know we like an hour and 15 minutes in. Last one, homes. Fight for your house. House, in their context, meant legacy. Legacy of representation. It wasn't just the structure. It wasn't just the structure. It, 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 meant, it meant a tabernacling place for the glory of Christ. That's, that's home, homes back then was just, not fighting for our houses not to be knocked over, even though that's an implication of this. But it's about what it being knocked over looks like when it's knocked over and not taken care of. That's why one of the qualifications of leadership in the church is that he manages his household well. That's a good premise for all men. That you love your house and you love your wife. You fight for her. You fight for her. You are going, I'm going to go back to the wife real quick. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There are going to be difficult times where you don't feel like you love each other, feeling-wise. You're going, to f you're going to be distant from one another, and that's when you need to fight. 
you let the cross close the distance between that intimacy. But the way it happens is not spending time with each other. That's not how you get closer to your wife. See, because if you just spend time with her, she's going to get on your nerves and he's going to get on your nerves. Because y'all are, not, y'all, are in, y'all are close in proximity, but not function in practice. So you get in God's face and you seek him. And then all of a sudden, her curves start looking good again. Amen, somebody. Her heart starts looking good. And you get in God's presence and you see your deficiencies. And you recognize that God puts up with so many of your deficiencies that he should have distanced himself from you a long time ago. And then you say, if God can give me his presence like this, why can't I give my wife my presence like God gave me his presence? I'm going to close. I'm going to close. But I just want somebody to get some help today. I know we preach theology, but I want you to walk away and get some help. Amen, somebody. But, 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 but one of the things we don't do in closing, we don't idolize. Brotherhood, being a father, son, all those, uh, wife, we don't idolize none of those things. Why? Because Jesus challenges us with those things in Luke 18, 29. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many more times in this and in the age to come eternal life. This is powerful. Because one one of the things, when you become, quote-unquote, a good man, you begin to idolize the thing that God created. And when that happens, you're not walking in biblical discipleship. And so what happens is God is going to call you to gather your house and put it on an altar. And that altar is going to be, God, they belong to you. The hardest thing to do is to put something on the altar that in your heart you think belongs to you. <laughs> but, 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 but what happens is, is Jesus says, if you do that for my kingdom, I'll give it back to you better than the way you presented it to me. Oh, my God. He says, if you give it up for the sake of the kingdom, I will give you much more than this. This is real good prosperity gospel right here. And this is true prosperity gospel. He's not talking about amount, some of quality. He said, I will increase the quality of everything in your life if you would give it to me first. If you would give your wife to me, I'll increase the quality of your wife. If you give your son to me, I'll increase the quality of your son. If you give your daughter to me, I'll increase the quality of your daughter. If you give your house to me, I'll increase the quality of your house. Whatever in, listen, 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 whatever you put in God's hands, he upgrades. Now, I'm just letting you know, God can do more. He can do more, the old preachers say, he says, the tools to a car in my hand will be a mess, but the tools to a car in Ford's hand will be an actual car that's sellable. <laughs> uh, a tools to building a wall in my hands will be a mess, but a tool on the walls of a bricklayer will be actually a leveled wall. Uh-huh. Everything in your life that you submit to God, he upgrades. A cross in my hands is nothing, but a cross in Jesus' hands is redemption for the sins of the world. And so all I'm asking you to do today is submit and release everything in your life to Jesus today. Release it. Release it right now in Jesus' name. I'm closing. Father, 
I'm begging you to help us to learn how to fight. Help us to submit everything in our lives to Jesus. God, there are things and lives in here that some people haven't submitted to Jesus. I want you to stand. If you've if you got something that you're holding on to heavy, that you haven't submitted to Jesus, why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. If you got something that you, you haven't submitted, it's an idol to you. I'm talking about a stronghold. I'm talking about a stronghold that you're clinging to. That you're clinging to. And God is saying to you, I, I, I want it from you. But he's, he's saying to you, I can do better with it than you. I can do better with it than you. Why don't you give it to me? I made it. I created it. Maybe it's an idea in your life that got corrupted that you need Jesus to breathe life back into. We want to pray for you. There's something in your heart that is on lockdown. God wants to re-enliven you to have the energy to fight in that particular area of your life. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're not in Christ today. You're not, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. We want, we want you to trust him as Savior. Repent of sin and turn towards Jesus. Turn towards him. I know we're going a little long, but I just feel led by God to just pray for these matters. You've been trying to do it and you've been failing, but God is saying today, put it in my hands. You've been holding on to it tightly. And God doesn't want to pry it out your hand. He wants you to give it to him. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Oh, Lord God of mercy. Lord God, our lives were built as Christians to be fighters and builders at the same time. Lord God, I am overwhelmed by the power of your word today. And God, I'm overwhelmed by your ability. I, you, are, you are more powerful than anyone, anything, or any place. And you're able to straighten out things and able to unbend things, Lord God. And today, we, we are praying on behalf of your people. Based on this Luke 18, 29, Lord God, 16, 29, we are, we're asking you in Jesus Christ's name to invade and help your people to lay whatever it is in their life on the altar before you. Laying it on the altar before you, Lord God, and letting you do it. And Lord God, what's interesting is even though it stays with you, you send it with us. And you send it with us in better condition than we could have ever made it. You specialize in transforming and upgrading 
everything that you've created in our lives to enjoy and use for your name and your glory. And so, God, I pray that you would breathe fresh into souls in this place. God, that you would, that you would rekindle a fresh relationship and fellowship with you in Jesus Christ. God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would saturate their minds and hearts and life with the fact that there's no one more powerful than you, there's no one more stronger than you, and there's no one that loves them more than you do. And I pray that they would never forget, in Jesus' mighty name, the one, that, the one who gave them the very thing that they're holding on to wants them to enjoy it, but enjoy it on your terms. And God, I pray, God, that we would be a community of idol smashers. That we would smash the idols in our heart, whether we worship our family, whether we worship our education. <laughs> I don't know what it is in our lives that we worship God, but I just pray that you would help us to smash it. And, and Lord God, identity cry, whatever it is, God, will you remove it in Jesus' mighty name, Lord God. Make it in the music, but whatever it is, will you smash it? But God, when you smash it for us, you help it to be given back to us in a way that we're like, dang, God, I should have gave this to you alone. If God, if I would have known what it means to give this to you and be able to enjoy you at the same time, I would have done this a long time ago. And we believe you for it, God. And Lord God, get rid of our need to be in control. Give you glory, God. In Jesus' mighty name.